Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, but why don't you grab your Bibles and go with me uh, to the book of Ephesians, which is a New Testament book. Uh, the book of Ephesians, we're going to talk out of um, just really um, uh, like three verses. Uh, we're going to go to Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at 10, 11, and 12. Uh, but let me just catch everybody up. If you want notes, you can shoot your hand in the air, and we got some paper notes for you. Um, and those are always on the info stands as you walk in, so if you want to grab those next week on your way in, that's cool. Uh, we also do it digitally. If you want to do it via our app, you can get the app by texting app to 858-943-2221. Uh, every week we've been talking in our Rooted experience. Now here's the great thing uh, about this series and really any series that we do. It doesn't matter what time you come in, um, it's, it's, you're going you're gonna to get something out of it. And it's going to be like a standalone but within the series. And so we've been in this series entitled Rooted. And um, I know that if you've been in church for a while, when you hear that, whether it's rooted or roots or something like that or planted, you're immediately thinking that the, um, the subject is about getting planted in the local church that you're sitting in in that moment, like getting rooted in uh, to the core values, rooted into the culture. Uh, this is not that series. Um, every time we've talked about rooted, for the most part, uh, we want to get people rooted into Christ Jesus. Um, that is primary. That is essential. Second to that, yes, I mean, the, the local church exists to help people get planted and rooted into Jesus. And so we're not spending time talking about our, our values, talking about, hey, here's how you can get involved in Canvas Church, because I believe um, that, man, God has many local churches, and there's great ones out there. Um, but if we keep the, the, the primary things primary, which is being rooted into Christ Jesus, man, you could go to whatever church he's calling you to be a part of, and you will be thriving there and successful there. Are you with me? And so we've been talking about being rooted in Christ. The Bible teaches us that we need to be grafted into Christ, that, that he is the vine and we are the branches. And so what we've been doing through this Rooted series is simply this. We've been going back to the basic rhythms of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. That's it. That's simple. We're getting back to those rhythms. What, what are some of those rhythms we talked about? Man, so, man, therefore, prayer is essential. And we had a phenomenal prayer gathering a couple weeks ago. Worship is essential. The Bible talks about worship. And yes, church is a part of that. Church is essential. That's why the Bible says, hey, don't forsake the gathering of the saints together. Why would the Bible say that? Because the Bible understands and teaches us how important it is for believers to come together. And uh, so on Sunday morning, it's important. Why is it important? It's a time to celebrate all that God is doing and is continuing to do. It's, it's, a, it's a place for us to come together and challenge one another in the faith and make sure that we're walking in faith and walking in accordance to the word of God and the plan that he has individually for us, but also corporately for us. And so, yes, church is important and you should be a part of that. And so we've been talking about getting back into these rhythms, uh, doing your devotions daily in the word, um, sharing your faith actively with people. Um, and that, that isn't like a... Uh, what we're learning, and that's not something, okay, I set some time aside and I'm gonna go share my faith. That's awesome, and people are called to do that, evangelism, but literally as a Christ follower that, that we're just available to be there whenever somebody needs us, right? Somebody's going through a, a hard season in their life that, man, faith just comes forth from us, and in that moment, we're witnessing to them. We're sharing, sharing Jesus with them. So going back to these basic, basic rhythms of discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing we're going to talk about today. A part of getting back into those rhythms, a part of, of you know, um, being a follower of Jesus Christ is, is understanding that there is a real enemy, 
understanding that, that there, is, there is really some entity trying to come against us and oppose the church of Jesus Christ. That, that there really is a, a real heaven and a real hell. That there really is lives at stake. That, that the Bible really talks about that, that, that God is not willing that any should perish. What's he talking about there? To, to be eternally separated from him. He's not willing for that to happen. Man, so he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to, to bridge this gap between humanity and, and God himself. That this is real. This isn't metaphorical. Like when we talk about heaven and hell from scriptures and in church, that, that it's not a metaphor unto something, but that it really exists. And the thing is, I don't know that we talk about that enough in the life of, of church and the life of a believer. And, and the problem is this, is that we will get disillusioned and we will, we will begin to talk about so many other things that will enhance your life rather than just save you from hell. Right? But here's the thing. Jesus Christ didn't go to the cross and die on the cross to enhance our life. He died on the cross to save us from a real hell. Are you with me this morning? And so we need to understand is we need to understand that there is this real enemy and that it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not this metaphor, but that we're really fighting against something. And the Bible makes this so clear in so many places, but the one we're going to go to today and use this to platform into what I believe God wants me to share with you today is Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And if you're new to us this morning, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And it reads this way. It says, and a, and a final word, a final word. Let me just give you a little bit of background here. A final word. This is Paul, the great apostle, writing to the church at Ephesus. Now, we're not in a series on Ephesians. Um, we're just using this scripture today. But this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And what's different about this writing than a lot of other Paul's writings, Paul typically wrote to address an issue within the church to address some moral issue or how they were worshiping, how this needed to be done and that needed to be done. Ephesians is completely different. Ephesians, Paul writes it to the church at Ephesus to expand their thinking and the horizons to understand how vast the grace of God is and how big his presence is and to get them to understand that there is, there is a spiritual war happening, Okay? So that, that's what he's writing about. He's, the, the first three chapters are all writing about uh, the, you know, how, how, who God is and how great he is and how awesome he is. And then the last three are, are kind of breaking it down. Now because of that, because you understand that there really is a real God and he really has a great plan for your life and that this isn't metaphorical, this is real, this is how we ought to live. Are you with me? He begins to talk about this spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, a final word then, and he's in the final chapter of Ephesians. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in that. Put on the full armor of God. Put on God's armor. Now, we're not going to get into that in our groups. We're going to break that down a little more and talk about that. But put on. This is, there, there's a battle out there. I want to get this final word to you. You need to be strong in him and in his mighty power. So put on all God's armor. Why? So that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Did you just hear that? There is a real enemy, and he's got a real plan for your life, just as God has a plan for your life. He's got strategies that he is laying out to try to take out the kingdom of God and to take out the church that you're a part of. 
Now, I'm not just talking the local church. I'm talking about the church. And here comes the warning. Hey, final word. I want you to be strong in him. And guess what? He has mighty power too. I want you to be strong in that. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. What does that tell me? That, that tells me I need to be aware of the fact that there's an enemy, but I also need to be aware of how the enemy operates. And sometimes it's specific to you, but I'm telling you, you're gonna see it today. There is a strategy against the church, the, 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 the saints. Understand this. Why? Verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Man, this gets kind of freaky. Right? Like, if you, if you are just new to church and Christianity, you're reading this here right now, and I'm like, I'm out. Like, what is going on? But this is the Bible. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. What does that tell us? That means our battle isn't against brothers and sisters in Christ or even other people that haven't come into the kingdom of God. We're not, we're not fighting one another. We're not fighting flesh and blood. No, where, where's our battle at? It says it right here. Man, it's against this spiritual thing, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly in heavenly places. Now, I'm gonna pray in just a moment. We're gonna get into this, but before we do, um, here's the thing. We can read that, and let's be honest. Um, we can read about this, this, this spiritual warfare and these dark powers, and that can get a little scary. It can kind of seem a little heavy, right? Seems kind of big. It kind of seems like, whoa, man. But here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that although there is a spiritual battle, I mean, it would be so great if the enemy just showed up and revealed himself, right? Like, how many of you guys remember shows way back in the day when there would be like a little devil and a little angel sitting on the shoulder and they're talking back and forth? Anybody remember? I mean, some of you younger people, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But back in the day, they would, they would, they would show like there was this evil spirit and it was the devil all dressed in red with a pitchfork and horns, Right? And then there's this little angel, and they're whispering back and forth trying to get this person to do something. Man, it would be so great if the, if the enemy actually showed up in a red spandex. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? And just had, like, like, horns and a pitchfork. You'd be like, yeah, I see it. I see it. You're not going to fool me. Here's the thing, though. He don't come like that. Matter of fact, I, I, Song of Solomon, which is a great book of the Bible, if you really understand it, it's an awesome book of the Bible, especially if you're married, praise Jesus. Um, it, it, it paints this picture of this whole, whole relationship, right, between a, a man and a woman, and it gets pretty, pretty heated at times. But in here, uh, the writer uses this analogy of, of a fox that comes to destroy things. You ever heard the term sly as a fox, Right? And, and, and he uses this analogy because it was a natural picture of what, what took place, and he used it within an analogy of how the enemy can come and destroy a relationship. I, I, want, I want to look at that real quickly. And it's Sol, uh, Solomon 2, Song of Solomon 2, verse 15. And the writer says this, the writer says, catch all the foxes. And that's not like, you know, anyway. <laughs> this is real, it's a fox. Catch all the foxes. It says this, those little foxes, this is why, before they ruin the vineyard of love, because that's in the context of Solomon, 
for the grapevines are blossoming. So here's, here's the context of Song of Solomon. He's writing about relationship, but he uses a very natural analogy that people would understand at the time. They understood that, oh yeah, man, the vineyards, you know, you know what destroys the vineyards? It's not like some, some hell that comes and destroys. It's not like a heavy rain. It's not the scorching sun. It's not these blatant things that we can see. What ruins the vineyards back then were these little foxes that would creep in, and they're so sly and so little, um, and you don't see them coming, and all of a sudden they're there, and they're eating stuff and, 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 and ruining stuff, and then pretty soon the whole vineyard's destroyed. That's the analogy. And so he says, hey, catch those little foxes, those little things that you don't see coming in that eventually destroy everything we've been working for. Matter of fact, Jesus uses this same thought and this same analogy. I had never really seen it before. Um, and he calls Herod Antipas a fox. Did you know that? Yeah, and me neither until I was studying this week. I was like, wow, what, what is that all about? He's using the same analogy that was used in Song of Solomon when he talks about Herod. He, 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 why? Because a fox is an analogy of something sly and, and will come in and ruin what great things are being done. And so in Luke 13, 31 through 32, it says, at that time, some of the Pharisees said to him, Jesus said, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Okay, but listen to what, what Jesus replied. Go tell that fox. What's he saying? Go tell that, that, that thing that's trying to creep in, that little sly thing that's trying to destroy the work that I'm at. Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and the third day I will accomplish all my purpose. So with that understanding, I want to read Ephesians chapter 6 again. Because I think we can read Ephesians chapter 6 and think on this mega scale. These big things that are trying to come and destroy. So think with me now. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in the, on his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So you'll be able to stand firm against all the little foxes that try to creep in. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Can't see them, sly, sneaks in. Pretty soon it destroys the beautiful vineyard. He's the vine, we're the branches. Against the mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. I want to talk to you the next few moments about catch the foxes. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. Pray that in the next few moments that we have together, Lord, you would speak to us, speak to us clearly. God, I pray you'd help me, um, God, deliver this message. Um, God, in such a way that it exposes people to your great son, Jesus, that they'd know your incredible love and that they understand the amazing plan that you have for their life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Um, I had the opportunity to coach basketball as assistant coach uh, for the classical girls basketball team last year. Had an amazing time. Uh, there's several of the players, uh, one of them's right here, uh, several of the players um, that uh, play on the team. And uh, they need an assistant coach, and I said, I'll do it, because uh, my daughter plays too. And then uh, no matter what happened last year, I was a coach so I could get in. I don't know what was going to happen with COVID or they could keep the parents out. It was kind of a selfish motive, but I got to go to all the games. It was awesome. 
And so I, I had a chance to coach. And by the way, we won a CIF championship, just saying. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, there was a particular team that we played this one time um, that, uh, to my knowledge, we had never beat in all the years that, this, uh, that, that the girls' team has existed at Classical. And, uh, and so we went to play them, and, um, and we lost. And I remember watching the game thinking, man, I can see what they're doing. I can see their whole game plan. I can see, I can see the strategy that they have. And the next time we play them, because they're in our league, we're going to beat them. And so I went to the head coach, and I said, Coach Taylor, hey, I, I have a strategy um, because I understand what they're doing, and I believe if we implement this strategy um, that we're going to win this game. And, uh, and so um, one of our highest scoring players was hurt and injured, wasn't able to play, um, but we implemented this strategy. And uh, when we implemented this strategy, here it was, it was called a, it was called a 32, it was a, it was a triangle and two, defense. And because their strategy was so simple, they basically had two players that could play, and that was about it. I'm not going to mention the name of this school because I don't want to insult them, but that was it. And so we took our two top defenders and put them on these two girls, and the rest just stayed in a triangle in the, in the, in the center of the key, and they couldn't run their play. It was awesome. Matter of fact, I kid you not, and I feel a little bad saying this because I actually know the player on the other team, and, and she's awesome, um, but th they got so frustrated that at one point the girl literally curled up in a fetal position and cried on the floor. I know, I felt bad about it. That wasn't our intent. I know some of you are looking like, you're a pastor. I didn't tell the girls to cause her to cry. Like, but that is a true story. That really happened. And uh, what did we do? Here's what we did. We understood that, that, that literally the strategy wasn't this big mega thing, but it was just this little two-man game at the top. And if we could shut down that little two-man game, we were going to be victorious. And, man, we implemented that thing like it was, it was beautiful the way it worked. And sure enough, we beat the team by 12, never beat them before. What was taking place? What was taking place is we weren't trying to fight on this big scale. We looked at it and said, hey, here's what they're doing. Here's what's working. Here's what's happening. And if we can stop that, then guess what? We can win this game. I believe that same principle is true when it comes to our spiritual walk. I believe that same principle is true when it comes to what's going on within the church right now. I believe there are so many things that are happening in our world that we as the church, we need to get focused on the way the enemy is attacking because if not, we're gonna spend so much energy and so much focus on these other things that aren't really doing much, but we're spending so much focus and so much energy on there that the enemy is over here winning with these little sly foxes that are creeping in. And we have to understand the enemy. We have to understand the tactics that he's employing. We have to understand what he's doing. And I know that it can seem when I read a verse out of Ephesians that, oh man, there's a spiritual war, there's this thing happening that we can get withdrawn a little bit and be like, how can I, how can I fight against that? Well, I'm going to show you how you can today. I'm going to show you what I believe are, are two of the, the great ways the enemy is coming at us today. We've got to understand our enemy. Let me just simply break down Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. What's it saying? Do not become focused on the flesh. That, that the battle you're in is not the argument you're having with the other person. The battle you're in is not the tension that, that, that between you and your spouse. It's not flesh and blood. The battle you're in isn't that pastor doesn't love me. Come on, somebody. The battle you're in isn't the misunderstanding you had with that other individual. It's not flesh and blood. The battle you're in is not against your governor. Oh, we got quiet on that one. It's not the battle. 
And I think sometimes we, we spend so much time as, as Christ followers, we're supposed to live a completely different lifestyle than the rest of the world, that we're just, we're just sitting here fighting this thing and, and arguments and disagreements and confusions and, and all this stuff, and we're just you know, having it out, and there's, there's this big battle in the spiritual world that's being won by the enemy. So how does he creep in? We're going we're to look at this a little bit. So here, here it says, hey, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. Hey, it's not, it's not flesh. You don't, don't focus there. It's not people. It's not governments. And then it simply says there's something greater at work. It is spiritual. Behind what you can see, there's something spiritual taking place. Are you with me? So there's this battle, this battle going on. So here's the thing, John 10, 10. Uh, we like the second part of this verse, and we focus on it a lot. John 10, 10, it's not in the notes, just give it to you, but um, that he's come to give us life. Jesus came to give us life, and that we might have that life more abundantly. I mean, how many of you guys love that verse? I'm so glad he came to give me life, and that I might have it more abundantly. Notice the word, the way it reads there, though, that I might have it more abundantly. But the first part of that verse says this, the thief, the enemy, the spiritual warfare we're in, the thing that we're fighting as, as believers, here's what it says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Have you ever stopped and like paused and just kind of meditated on that portion of the verse? Steal, kill, and destroy. Well, if I'm dead, what's he destroying? I've always read it through this lens, and, and you can read it through whatever, but I believe he comes to steal the identity we have in Christ Jesus. Like he wants, he wants to break it down. And how he does that is he gives us a different image of who God is. And that's happening in our world in excess today. Like, like, like did God really say that? And here's the thing. That's nothing new. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. How did the enemy come to Adam and Eve? Came to Eve. Did God really say that? From the very beginning, what was the enemy trying to do? Trying to get you to have a different view of who God really is so that if you have a different view of who God really is, you don't understand your identity in him. Because if you have a false God, a false identity of who God is, that he's the creator of the universe, that, man, with him all things are possible, and that he's actually laid out a system and a structure called his word, if, he can, if the enemy can undermine that, then all of a sudden he can get you to undermine, okay, well, if that's what I believe about God, then all of a sudden the authority and the identity I have in God becomes something different and becomes something less. And so I believe in John 10, I believe he comes to steal our identity as believers. Because if he can steal your identity, he comes to still kill, I believe then he can kill the authority we have in Christ. That we don't have to accept just the way things are. That there's power in prayer that there's power in worship, that there's power in the gathering of the saints together, that whatever two or three agree upon in his name, it shall be done. I mean, know what the Bible says? But see, if he can steal our identity, who we are in Christ, by ruining the identity of God, then he can begin to kill the authority we have as believers, as Christ followers. So when something happens in our life, our first phone call isn't God. Our first phone call is, you know, the doctor. Our first phone call is mom. Our first phone call is whatever, the counselor. Our first phone, are you with me? But no, we have, we have power and authority as Christ. Let's go to him first. Because ultimately, lastly, he comes to steal, kill. Why? Because he wants to destroy our destiny. 
He wants to destroy our destiny. This is the enemy. It's real, not metaphorical. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to take you out. He doesn't want the church moving forward. He doesn't want you to, 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 to see, you know, this, 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 this success in your, your spiritual walk. He wants to take that, that out. And, and how is he doing that? I believe he's doing that through some little foxes. So we got to catch them. What are they? This is as I was praying, and I, I really do believe this, not just for our church, but I believe this corporately for the body of Christ. Catch the little foxes. Here they are, number one. Number one, disunity. Disunity. Discord. Disunity in the body. Not, 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 not functioning together, flowing together. And I'll tell you what, more than ever over the last two years, you've seen this. Not just in your church here at Canvas Church, but in the body of Christ as a whole. We've, we've focused on the minors and forgot about the majors. I'm just going to say, your political stance is a minor. What you think about the virus is a minor. What you think about mask mandates is a minor. But yet we've been so focused there that what it's done is it's caused discord and disunity in the body of Christ. That's just naming a few. Disunity is a fox that creeps in. And you see how subtly it creeped in? And all of a sudden we're focused on these things and we're walking in discord and disunity. Listen to Psalm 133. It's the whole chapter because it's only three verses. It says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. Now, if you just kind of read through that, you're like, oh, that's weird. Here's what's so powerful about the anointing oil that went over Aaron's head. It was the oil that anointed him for the work of ministry. It was the anointing that, 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 that set him in position to now, to now move in the authority and, and the grace of God that was on him. So in other words, unity does that. Unity positions us to walk forth in the, the anointing and the authority that we have in Christ Jesus as believers. Read on. That ran down his beard into the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. Man, it talks about refreshing. So what is unity? Man, it's, it's refreshing. It refreshes us. But listen to this last part. And the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. What is unity? Unity is the place that God blesses. Unity is the thing that God looks down from heaven and says, ah, my children are getting along. How many of you guys have kids? How many of you that just raise your hand? Now, one of the worst things ever is when you hear your kids arguing in your home. I guess some of you never had your kids argue before. Man, I hate it. It's like, what are you fighting over? Well, she used my hairbrush. I'm like, first world problems, right? Man, when God looks down, you know what he loves to see? He loves to see unity. And, man, man, and it can start in the context of a local church. And here's the thing I've discovered about unity and, and, and harmony, is, is unity 
isn't us always seeing eye to eye. But it's us walking hand in hand even when we don't see eye to eye. Because we're focused on the major. The king of kings and the Lord of lords and his kingdom come and his will be done. It's a blessing there, the Bible says. It's a big deal. I mean, the, both analogies, whether it's oil or the dew, it's, it, it, it describes this liquid, this, this flowing thing, that unity is flowing, that it's happening. I mean, unity is so crucial that just 11 chapters into the Bible, Genesis chapter 11, some of you heard me talk about this before. I love this passage. But, you know, the Bible, uh, uh, very clear in the very beginning, where, where God makes man and woman and says, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and I want you to fill the whole earth. That's what I want you to do. Genesis chapter 11 comes along, and they all have one language, the Bible says, and they got together, and this is what they say. They say, hey, let us build a place here for us, and let's all stay here, lest we be scattered uh, across the whole face of the earth. They were in unity. They were together, and they were going to build something that they could dwell in so that they didn't get spread. Well, that was directly against what God wanted. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 11 that God looked down, and he saw their unity and said, man, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. God saw the power of unity in his people, and this is what he did. He gave them different languages so they'd be confused, and they couldn't be in unity because the unity they wanted was against his will. But that unity was so powerful that God himself looked at it and said, man, they're gonna prevail. This is gonna win unless I step in and intervene. So what does the enemy want to do? Well, if God sees that, you know the enemy sees that, what does he want to do? He wants to try to create discord, disunity. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 2, beginning of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, and they were all together in one accord. And that's not a Honda. They were all together in one accord. What's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying they were in unity. They were in harmony. They were in sync. They were waiting for the same thing. There they were in unity and in harmony. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. It was in that place, in that moment, as they waited together in what? The Bible says in one accord. It could have just said they were all together in one place. It doesn't. It says they were all together in one place and they had unity. Because let's be honest, you could be sitting in this room, we're all together in one place, but you could be looking across the room offended at somebody. Is that getting too real? But this says they were in one place in one accord. They were in unity. Uh, I can't pronounce the actual word, so I won't even try. And I don't think it's on the note, but I want you to hear this. This is the way the Strong's breaks it down, this, this study tool. It says it's, it's a compound of two words, this word accord. It's a compound of two words meaning rush along, which is the, 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 the word picture there is like a river, rush along in unison. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded, uh, the notes are sounded, which while different, harmonize in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. Uh, you, ever, you ever been someplace and two instruments are playing different? That would never happen here. 
but maybe at another church you visited sometime. And they're like playing different, like the wrong, and it's like, mm, something doesn't sound right. Right? You're just like, I mean, you don't even have to be musical, and you're like, uh, pretty sure that's not right. Anybody ever been there? Somewhere else at a different church? <laughs> right? And you're just like, oh, that just doesn't, well, what does that do? It's just like, ooh, ooh, they need to, ah, hmm. Maybe they should just stop and start over. Ain't nothing wrong with that, right? See, when God looks down and his, his children are in unity, that's what he's like. He's like, ooh, ah, I should probably just stop and start over. This doesn't sound right. It doesn't look, look right. The enemy wants to come and wants to do that. Wants to disrupt the unity. How does he do it? Through offense? Get offended at somebody? We're going to go a little bit over. Is that okay? How many guys give me 10 more minutes? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Works every time. 60, I got 60 minutes. Awesome. Um, through offense? Listen, the Bible makes it very clear that offenses are going to come. It's going to happen. So, but the Bible is also very clear on how you deal with offense. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, write that down, not in your notes, I don't think, but just write it down, go read it. Because nowhere in there does Matthew 18 say, hey, when someone offends you, you should blog about it. <laughs> when someone offends you, man, you should snap a picture and throw it on Instagram and talk about it. When someone offends you, you know, whatever. Like, no, it doesn't say that. It also doesn't say, hey, when somebody offends you, you should go talk to some other people in the church about it just to make sure that your offense is validated. Is that getting, is that getting too real now? Doesn't say you should circulate material about this offense that other people read and are like, oh, yeah, that reads well. You should go and talk to them about that. See, I, I've talked to people. Hey, uh, I, I, I'm offended at somebody. And I, you know, I just want to, hey, so this is what happened, and this is what took place, and, and I, I want to share it with them. Can I just kind of share with you what I want to share with them? And did you know that's completely unbiblical? Well, I'm just seeking counsel. No, you're seeking validation in your offense, and you're wrong, and you're in sin. Ooh, it got quiet. You're not, you're not, you're not seeking wisdom. You're not seeking understanding. If we really want to be real, we're seeking someone to validate the offense we have so that we can feel better about it because, I'm, because they meant to do it. They meant to hurt me, which we can talk about that in just a minute. Now, you know what Matthew chapter 18 says? Matthew 18 says this. Hey, if you're offended, if someone, there's an offense between you and another brother or sister, you go to that person and that person only. And you bring it up, and you talk about it. And then it says, if it can't be dealt with, then you can go get somebody else. One or two, it says. Not a whole tribe. Not your whole friend group. Not your whole family. One or two. Is anybody getting anything out of this today? Am I the only one just that God's dealing with in this? Or is, or is, some of you wonder why I'm so passionate about it, because God's dealing with me about it. You don't get a whole tribe involved. You just, one or two, and just say, hey, here's what I've, I've already went to them. I've talked with them. We tried to deal with it. It's not resolved. 
Uh, and, and, here's, and here's the goal of bringing the other two. You don't even have to share the context with them of what it is. The goal of bringing the one or the other two are arbiters that, that sit there and listen to make sure you're sharing in the right heart and that they're receiving it. And if they don't, they can step and say, no, here's what's being said. This is what they're talking about. It's not you go and share with the other one or two, well, this is what they did, and this is what, da-da-da-da, and get them on your side. We're one body. Are you with me? And then you bring them, and they say, can you listen to our conversation in love? Because our heart is not to be right. Our heart is to be heard and understood, and that God's kingdom would prevail. Right? Here's the thing, though. I think a couple of things. Um, just on a real practical side, some of us want to be right. And you're so convinced that you are right that there's, there's no making, like, there's no opening your eyes to the fact that you could be wrong. And if you go with that, like, you might as well wait until Jesus deals with something deeper in your life. But the other thing is, is we go too oftentimes with the thought that this person is evil and they meant to do that. What if we flipped that and said, you know what, they're a child of God, and no one God created would do that intentionally. Now, I'll be honest with you, are there people out there? Sure. But they're the one-offs. They're not the norm. I think most people aren't getting up in the morning thinking, who can I tick off today? Good preaching, Pastor. Um, offense, bitterness. Misunderstandings? You ever had a misunderstanding? A misunderstanding? They, they, they happen. It happens, yeah. Um, distractions. Different things that happen. And here's the thing. Typically, all of those things happen within the body of Christ, not, not from outside. Why? He's trying to, trying to come and cause discord and disunity. Uh, let me give you a verse. Romans 12, 18. What does it say? It says, you do what you can do. You can't control others. It says, do the, it, it, it talks about uh, to, um, uh, whatever is on you, live at peace with one another. As much as it is up to you, live at peace with one another. So I need to walk in forgiveness, but I also need to walk in repentance. Repentance is the harder one, right? Forgiveness, oh yeah, you did offend me, I forgive you. Thanks for asking, jerk. Repentance, that's, 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 that's the tougher one, right? when you need to go. Are you with me today? Let's, let's, let's uh, worship team come on up so we can get this thing wrapped up. Number two, what's the other little fox? Did you get that? The first one, unity, disunity. What's the other one? Here it is, routine, routine. What? Yeah, it's just a little fox, routine. Doing the same thing over and over again, seeing the same thing over and over again. This puts us in a rut. I, I wanna talk about this just for a moment. Um, I love the fact that the worship team did, did four songs today. Because some of you are like, wait a second, what's this fourth song we're doing? We normally only do three. What's happening? We, we, got, you, we, got, you out of a, we got you out of a rut. Right? Routine. A.W. Tozer wrote this. It says, our greatest enemy is not liberalism or government. Our greatest enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the dictatorship of the routine. When the routine becomes Lord in the life of the church, programs are organized and the prevailing conditions are accepted as normal. 
Anyone can predict next Sunday's service and what will happen? Three songs. Someone will get up, do a transition. It'll be an encouraging moment, uplifting. We'll clap, we'll slap high fives. And pastor will get up and preach for about 35 minutes. If he goes over, he'll ask, hey, who will give me 10 more minutes? People will raise their hands. He will count them and add an hour. Band will come up at the end, flow nicely behind the pastor. Right? Anyone can predict next Sunday's service and what will happen. This seems to be the most deadly threat in the church today when we come to the place where everything can be predicted and nobody expects anything unusual from God. We're in a rut. The routine dictates and we can all tell what will happen next Sunday, but what will occur next month. And if things don't improve, what will take place next year? Then we have reached a place where what has been determines what is, and what is determines what will be. Routine, routine, routine. And we get to this place where we're not even coming expecting something unusual from God. We come walking in through the doors of the church, I'm gonna check my kids in and I'm gonna say hi to a few people, there's the orange tent, it's in the same place every time. Now listen to me, there are some things good about routine. Brush your teeth. But when it comes to God, we can get stuck in a rut. We can get stuck in a routine to where we show up on a Sunday and we know exactly how many songs we're gonna do and we even hope they do that song because I really like that song. Sometimes we can even look at the worship team and know by the worship team, oh, I know what songs they're gonna do. This is gonna happen, that's gonna happen. And we get stuck in a rut to where we're not even believing God for the impossible. We're not even believing God for what God can do. We're just walking in, going through this routine. You know why the Bible uses the, the idea of sheep to describe his people? Because sheep aren't the brightest. And the reason a shepherd always has to lead them is because sheep are notorious for following the same path every single day. And the reason the Bible says he's got to take us to green pastures and lead us to waters is because the sheep will stay in that same place, that same place, that same place until the whole entire field is ate and then it'll stay there, starve and die because they're creatures of routine. And I believe one of the greatest attacks, one of those foxes that's coming is we just get caught up in this routine where we stop believing in a God that can do anything. We stop believing in a God who can heal. We stop believing in a God who can touch somebody from cancer, who can restore a broken marriage, who can literally open blind eyes, who if we dare believe can actually raise somebody from the dead. Pastor, you went, you went too far on that one. That's a little bit outside of my routine. It's a little bit outside of my rut. We had a, we had a prayer time uh, a couple Saturday nights ago, and I was sitting right here, and I was leading our church, many of you are here, in prayer. And it came to this section on prayer where it's like, hey, let's, 
Let's pray, God, give us today our daily bread. And so I prayed for my family for provision. And then I started praying for the church for provision. I was sitting right there and I was praying. And um, we, if it was when we bought this building a couple years back, we owe about 3.1 million on it. And we're in the middle of trying to refinance to get a better rate and uh, free up more funds for the kingdom. And, and I was sitting here and I was praying, God, let a bank refinance it. Let a bank refinance. Let a bank refinance. I, I, and, and it wasn't audible, but I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered me and says, is that, is that really what you want? I'm like, yes. I would love to have this refinance. So I started praying again. And I felt like he said to me again, Ben, is that really what you want? And I stopped and I said, no. That's not what I want. He said, what do you want? And I said, I want $4 million. So we can pay the debt totally off and have money in the bank and do ministry. And I felt like he said, then why are you praying for something you don't need me to do? A bank can refinance you. You don't need to pray for a bank to refinance you. Why, why, are you, why are you wasting your breath for what's already possible? Why not start believing God for something that's impossible? Why, why, why are you praying and asking God, lead me to the right doctor so they can help me with this? Why don't you look to God and say, God, can you just heal me of it? Can you just cure me of it? Why, why, why are we going to a counselor hoping they can counsel you out of something? Listen, I believe in doctors and I believe in counselors, but I believe in the power of the risen Christ to do the impossible in my life, to do what, to do what no bank can do, no doctor can do, no counselor can do, no friend can do. I, I, I want to believe in that God. I want to believe in that Savior. I want to believe, I, that, that's what I want my faith to be. I don't need faith for what's possible. I need faith for what's impossible. I don't need faith for what we can do as a community. I need faith for what we cannot do as a community. That unless God shows up, this thing ain't gonna happen. Unless God shows up, we're not gonna see revival in our city. Unless God shows up, we're not gonna see every chair filled and the power of God present to heal and to restore and to redeem and, and to save. Is somebody with me today? Have we gotten in a rut? Have we gotten in a routine? Because it's a little fox that if we're not careful, it'll creep in to our daily spiritual walk. And it'll creep into our Sunday mornings where we just come and show up and well, we're gonna sing some songs and pastor's gonna preach and then he's gonna yell at us and we'll all clap on the way out. What if we came to a place that said, God, I'm coming to meet with you. You're a God that can do anything. And I'm not leaving until I hear your voice. I'm not leaving until I get my answer. I'm not leaving until I get my miracle. Catch the little foxes before they destroy the vineyards. Because he's the vine and we're the branches. God, I thank you so much for your word today. God, I thank you that your word is awesome. Do me a favor, just stand to your feet. Here's how we're gonna close this thing out. I don't, know, I don't know what you need. But I've been, I've been so convicted by the Holy Spirit to stop using my breath to pray for things that I don't need Him to do. Things that a bank can do or this can do or whatever. No, no, that, that, I, I, want, I, want, I want to pray bigger prayers. I want to believe bigger. I want to see God greater. 
because he's a great God. And with him, all things are possible. And so as, as I pray us out, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna open up this, this front area. In church, we call it an altar. I don't know why, but this front area. And if you need prayer today and you need prayer for God to meet you in this thing, then unless he shows up, it's not gonna happen. I wanna meet you right up here. Some of our small group leaders will meet you up. Some of our pastors will meet you up here and we'll, we'll pray together. But let me just pray, dismiss. And if that's you, band's gonna flow a little bit, but come on up even as I'm praying. God, thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God, thank you for your words. God, thank you for showing us that these little foxes that, that would creep in and, and try to destroy the work that you're doing and try to destroy the, the marvelous thing that you're doing here at Canvas Church and even your, your, your body at large. God, I pray that we'd break out of the routine and I pray we'd ask for forgiveness for walking in disunity and we'd see your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, I'm gonna be up here. I'd love to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. Let's get out of the routine together. Let's come next week. Come on, believe in God for some big things. Amen. Amen. Come on up. You need Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.